Good morning. The reading this morning is taken from Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who, who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the sins of both. Now which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. My name's George. If, uh, if we haven't met and you're visiting, welcome. It's great that you're here. It's great to see everybody. Um, <clears throat> Let me begin with, uh, I want to pray out of a verse in Isaiah, Isaiah 55 verse 11, where God describes his word going out and declares, my word will accomplish what I purpose, and it will prosper in that which I send it. It will not return to me without doing what I want it to. Uh, that's a slightly George translation, but that's, that is faithful, I promise. Um, and let's just pray. I don't know, um, 
yeah, I just feel like it's a bit like firing a flare up (laughs) and saying, come. Yeah, do that work in me. So put a hand on your heart if you want to, wherever you want his word to land. Just um, let's ask the Lord. We, We gather in faith. To hear and to receive your word, Lord, let it, let it prosper, let it produce what you want it to produce in our lives and among us and in your world through us. We welcome you. We welcome what you want to do through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, <clears throat> Um, nostalgia is good for you apparently so let me indulge in a little bit of nostalgia and uh, where we used to live we shared a driveway and a bit of a car park with um with the back of the church, that's not a surprise, given my job. And, um, and there was a vicarage where we lived. And then there was a great big block of Shaftesbury housing, of sheltered housing, lots of flats um, with, uh, with windows out onto the car park. And so we had lots of neighbors there and, uh, and knew a lot of them as well. And the thing about the housing was that it was wired up um, with the smoke detectors. So we had regular visits from London's finest, the fire brigade, and uh, because anything that triggered the smoke alarm would bring fire engines um, racing up the road and, uh, and into the driveway. And, uh, and this wasn't a bad thing um, entertainment-wise um, with a household of, um, of then three, well, it was four young boys ultimately, but one of them was probably too little to know about fire engines by the time we were moving up here. So yeah, lots of, um, lots of opportunity to enjoy the fire engines. I remember one Friday morning, we, um, we struck gold because um, somehow the call-out produced not just one, not just two, but three big, full-size fire engines. And uh, it was chaos on the road and in the car park. Couldn't go anywhere. And what else are you going to do but sort of stand there as a little um, you know, line of, of, of boys, me included, just enjoying looking at these fire engines. They're so kind of bulky and chunky and strong-looking. And then the crews would get out, all kind of kitted up, not quite carrying axes because it was only ever Toast that was calling them out to uh, Wimborne House. But, you know, they just look strong, these men and women in their kit. And honestly, I'm a bit of a sucker for this kind of thing. I, I, but... I would just get quite emotional watching them. They're only there because the toaster burnt the toast. But I just feel this emotion looking at them and just thinking, wow, what you do and what the emblem that they are. Powerful, powerful stuff. And, um, and so there I was, a big fan on the sidelines. But, but picture this, if you will. Imagine if, um, if it hadn't been Wimborne House and another toast incident but there had been a fire in our house just next door and um and how different it would be if those fire engines raced to our home and if i had been crawling upstairs along the long corridor and the landing on my hands and knees just trying to find out 
where everyone else was in the darkness and as the, sort of the smoke and the darkness were really wrapping around me and struggling to breathe and just trying to hear through the roar of all those flames and the fire alarms screaming, anything that would tell me where the boys are, whether they are out already, whether Shelley and Theo are outside and they're okay. Just the panic and the sickening thing and the losing of, of your kind of awareness of what's going on in the heat and the smoke. And then imagine if those gloves were, I, I grabbed me and pulled me out of the, off the floor and then through one of the, the broken windows down onto the driveway. And so through streaming eyes, as it clears, I can then see in a huddle of blankets, one, two, three, four boys and Shelley are standing there. The medics are there. Everyone is safe. And you know, never mind my kind of little moment, my little pang watching the firefighters. Imagine what I would feel. What would you feel towards those firefighters after that? You have saved us. You have, you saved me, literally. I owe you my life. I would be dead or I would have lost my wife and my children if not for what you have done. There's such a difference, isn't there, in those two experiences. And it's, yeah, and I think that didn't happen. You know, I'm just telling the what if. That's not been my experience. And it's an awful experience, if I imagine the, the trauma of that. But that experience, that relief at having been rescued. What a difference between me watching, spectator, and me rescued. And the question, I think, is at the heart of this passage today as again we're in our series looking at um, a scene where there are eyes on Jesus watching what's he going to do? What does he stand for? What's it about? What's he, what's he bringing? What do we think of this? And there's a question that I think rings through this, this scene, which is who is Jesus to you, to me? What do we see when we look at him? And, um, and Luke has recorded this scene in which um, there are two people particularly giving their attention to Jesus. And we get to Mark. In fact, Jesus makes a point of, 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 of looking at the distinction between two responses to him and, and two, these two people who are giving him their attention. So let's look first at Simon. What's going on for him? Simon's this Pharisee who's taken a bold step, perhaps a courageous step, actually, given the questions that um, Pharisees and other significant leaders um, within the religious community are asking questions about Jesus. And he takes the step of getting Jesus to come around for dinner, which is great. That's really, that's a good thing to do, isn't it? He seeks to connect with him. But we can kind of see the edge that's on there. There's a, there's, a, there's a dynamic, isn't there? What does Simon see as he looks at Jesus? I mean, he's been concerned to get a look at Jesus. Perhaps he's heard um, about 
what has been happening wherever Jesus has gone. You know, just working backwards from this reading, you go to a scene of people being healed and set free and the, the kingdom is being proclaimed and also delivered as a message to John the Baptist in prison. You step a bit further back and there's an extraordinary account of Jesus raising a young man from the dead and restoring the beautiful, beautiful line. He gave him back to his mother, this young man who had died. It's Amazing. That would surely have been news everywhere. And before that, there's been a lot of engagement with Jesus' teaching. You know, you go back, we just walk back into chapter 6, and you can find Luke's account, similar to the Sermon on the Mount, of some kingdom teaching and Jesus saying, you know, build your life on what I'm giving you. It's going to be a firm foundation. It will weather the storms. Don't build on the sand. So Jesus is teaching and what he's doing has become really current and Simon wants to know more. But his response, I would guess, to Jesus from what we're told and from the scene as we can see it is looking at Jesus and feeling profoundly uncomfortable, I think. And it draws out, I think, the discomfort that was already there as to what, this, what change this man might be bringing. What does it mean? Is this of God? And is this of God continues to kind of fill that room from his point. He would certainly fill his thoughts and his heart. Jesus does things that make me uncomfortable, Simon, I think, would be thinking. This is inference now. It will be for a few minutes. What are these guys thinking? Jesus does these things that make me so uncomfortable. He doesn't do things the way I would do them. He doesn't do things the way I think they should be done. In fact, I'm looking at him and thinking, Jesus doesn't do things that God could approve of, surely. Doesn't he know who's touching him? Does he have any care for the law that God has given to us, for the blessing and the gift of the law? Jesus is a rule breaker. Jesus doesn't see things the way I do. Doesn't see things right. And he goes as far as that. I think he's thinking it. Jesus is not safe. And what we believe about him does so much for the way we position ourselves in relation to him. Simon is there weighing, judging, not sure, not comfortable, not happy. By way of contrast, it's such an obvious contrast for us. What is it that this unnamed, sinful woman, so-called, she is a sinful woman, Simon's a sinful man as well, but she's somehow earned the the label within the community. Um, a bit like Zacchaeus was a notorious sinner. A bit like all those notorious sinners in Windermere that I spoke about last week as well, if you were here. If not, then you'll just have to wonder what on earth was going on last week. Yes, don't worry, it was 150 years ago. I think they all got saved. Um, it's, but this sinful woman, what does she see when she looks at Jesus? All eyes on Jesus. What is she seeing when she sees him? I, I can come to this man and he accepts me. Jesus knows that I'm sorry. 
Jesus believes me. Jesus protects me. Jesus defends me. Jesus is is this holy man, this rabbi, but he welcomes me close. Jesus makes me free. Jesus takes away my shame. Jesus is good. Jesus is a safe place for me. Jesus makes me unafraid. She had a lot to be afraid of, especially in that house. Some preachers ask whether she knew the house already. I don't know. But, but Jesus is a safe place. I suppose um, Jesus really puts the question there for us, doesn't he? When he asks, gives this illustration to Simon saying, okay, there are, um, imagine a debt, you know, a reasonable debt and a considerable debt. Someone cancels both those debts. Who's going to be more grateful? And who do we think? I mean, it's, a kind of, it's, a, it's an easy question, isn't it? But it's interesting, isn't it? He doesn't ask who would be more grateful. That's what I'm thinking. He asks, who would love him more? Who loves a moneylender? It's interesting, isn't it? But Jesus is actually talking about love, isn't he? He's talking about love and not just gratitude. Who will love him more? And the answer is the one who has received has received a greater measure of, of mercy from kindness, who is aware of the, the value of what has been done for them, for what is being given to them. Hmm. Simon and this unnamed woman, they represent two very different kind of paradigms, certainly about what they might need Jesus to be. For them, Simon needs him to be safe in the sort of sound, not kind of messing up the status quo, fulfilling theology. I mean, it's a very, you know, it's a very strong paradigm he's bringing, but he just doesn't want him to be a disturbance. Perhaps the woman comes and needs him to be savior. It needs to. It all has to come from him. She just brings, like, how, how am I going to get in on this? And he makes that space for her. And then we have this amazing picture, don't we? Where the, the, the lenses through which they're looking at Jesus and what they need and what they're experiencing of him brings out to such a contrast in what they give to Jesus. Simon giving, you know, a pretty cursory welcome. Yes, an invitation. Aren't you honored, Jesus, to be invited to my house? I'm very important. Whereas she gives so much to him. Simon gives Jesus the opportunity to impress him, to give an account of himself. 
Prove yourself. Explain yourself. He really sits in judgment over him, doesn't he? None of us would do that, I'm sure. I would never do that. <laughs> Always happy about what he does. Whereas this woman brings her most extravagant gift, this alabaster jar, and she brings her tears. She brings her touch. And isn't that the most beautiful thing? It specifically talks about her touch. In the context of her reputation, that, that is such a picture of redemption, isn't it? That here is a man that she's safe. She is safe to touch. And her touch is welcomed by him. It's beautiful, isn't it? And that messes with Simon's head in terms of cleanliness. You know, no rabbi should be touched by sin, sinfulness in this way. It'll mess you up. Not Jesus, it works the other way. Isn't that amazing? She brings herself, she brings her gratitude, her faith, her heart. And by Jesus' account of what's going on, her love is, and is just, it's the fruit of what she's received it indicates what she's found, what she's discovered. Isn't it beautiful? What do you think? Are people in love good to be around? I think, yeah, unless they're really pecking your head and winding you up. But broadly speaking, we've got to agree, they're not bad to be around people in love, are they? You know? Yeah? <laughs> I know that it can be a bit of a mix. I still remember my brother and I would groan any time my parents were demonstrative in their affection towards each other. And now I get to have my revenge. <laughs> Our own children, my goodness. It doesn't take much. <laughs> anyway, but, um, but all these tears and this hair wiping and foot perfuming, you know, it's not very British, is it? Very uncomfortable. It's all a bit of, I don't think it's very Church of England and all things decently and in order, is it? But I think actually it would have been as sort of scandalous and, and kind of provocative then as it is now. It, it really would, I think. It would have exposed the hearts of those around us. And I guess I'm prepared. Should I make a point? Yeah, I better get to a point. I'm prepared to let this same scene do the same work in me because i think what jesus points out when he um when he validates and honors her gifts to him is he's pointing out how it exposed simon's heart doesn't he know what kind of woman this is and i need him to to do the same thing with me to point out not i don't think i'm i'm not tempted i'm not like simon to judge the woman but it, i still need my heart exposed why would I withhold from Jesus? What am I withholding from Jesus? I need him to expose my heart. Maybe you do too. In John 12, when Mary in Bethany, um, after the raising of her brother from the dead and just in their friendship, she adores Jesus by again perfuming and anointing him. And he defends her. He's having to defend these women and their love and their worship, saying, she's anointing me for burial. She's done a beautiful thing. Again, there are unnamed accounts, similar ones. Judas on that occasion is like, that's such a waste of money. We should have given it to the food bank. Goodness me, but Jesus didn't think that. 
And it exposes our hearts, our judgment to see the love of another. Only that he might have our hearts for himself. It's not condemnation. There's no condemnation. It says it in scripture, but it's true here as well now, right now. There's no condemnation. But he would have our hearts as well. I love it that Jesus um, does that thing um, in John 13, just after Mary's provoked everybody by washing or perfuming his feet. Um, he then sets about showing his disciples the full extent of his love. And how does he do that? Yes, I know we're going to the cross, but he does it by getting his hands on their feet. It's like he's just, he's making it his own kind of mode now. This is how I'm going to love you and show you the heart of God as I serve and honor and lift you up let me wash your feet guys do you understand what I've done for you there's a question do you understand what I've done for you so good the what should we do with this you know I think there are two things we can do um pick either maybe both um I'm just thinking next Sunday this place could smell really good if we bring perfume, so there's an option, just go literal, everybody bring perfume. And uh, I don't know, yeah, maybe I don't know where we put it though. And it could get complicated. It'll smell great though. Um, perhaps more importantly, I was thinking about those verses in Revelation um, chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, where Jesus is, is challenging the Ephesian church, a church that's seen his love and his power and been one to him, and they've endured for him, and, and all that goes with it. And he just says this one thing that I want to hold up to you, and he says, you, you don't love me the way you did at first. In the NLT, it says you don't love me or each other. It extends the outworking of that both ways. And I think that's, and then he just says, return. I'm praising, but kind of return again to works of love. Or familiar, maybe do the things you did at first is one of the ways it's translated. That first love invitation. I think that might be the way to look at this and to receive it as an invitation, not as condemnation. Just come. Come and re recover that. Come and feel it again. Know it again. Receive grace again I think that's the heart of it we all know the principle I could read 1 Corinthians 13 to you and remind you that you could do all these mighty works and if you have not love it is nothing worth and we'll all nod and say yes I'll work harder but actually I don't think it's about working harder or trying hard it's, it's a love question you can't manufacture it but it's I think we love because he first loved us, and maybe we just need to get close to him. Proximity is a big thing. The last thing I want to point out in this scene. Who gets close to Jesus? Who puts themselves? Who presumes? It's all a bit scandalous to get close to Jesus. It's the woman, isn't it? I think that's, that's the thing to take away from here, is to get close again. Get, go to a place where your love can grow and find expression again at his feet. Get close. And as he loves, as you let him love you, because again, there's an interesting thing there about the degree to which he has received forgiveness and accepted forgiveness, accepted the grace he has to give. 
as we receive, then it will just pour out and it's then going to be perfume on the feet of people all around you and into situations and lives and the fragrance of your love is going to be beautiful. It is beautiful. It's not an absent, absent thing. I just think that if there is a word here, it's, going to be, it's a call to be close, isn't it? It's a call to come back. You receive it? I do. I think I need to. So, here's what I'd like to do. Do you want to close your eyes and don't think about lunch and don't fall asleep? Here's what I want you to do. It's not a trick. I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to ask you to use your imagination and picture a scene. And don't worry if you would say, I don't do things like that. It doesn't work in my brain. It doesn't work. I don't do pictures. Don't worry. It's, it's okay. But if it works, great. Let's try this. So all I wanted to ask you to do is picture a room. It can be any culture, any time, any place. We've been in a room with Jesus, Simon, sinful woman, 2,000 years old. But, you know, picture a room at home. But what I want you to put in the room is this. I want you to see it set out for a meal. Okay? And I'd like to invite you to put Jesus in that room at the meal. Okay? And don't leave him lonely. You can let some other people in if you want. They can be there too. And some sounds. Decide what the food is. One of our boys is insistent on having sticky ribs with Jesus in heaven. We're assuming it'll be legal. So just put the food there and... Settle Jesus in. And um, have a look at him. Or maybe it might be more of a feeling thing, how he seems, countenance, body language, what he's doing. And here's the thing I want you to do now although you must be in the picture if you're seeing it, if this is working for you, but I want you to, to put yourself in the room, wherever you, wherever you like now. Join the picture, not just looking at it, but join in. Put yourself somewhere. I don't know where you've put yourself, but maybe you could notice that. Are you somewhere where you can see him? Are you close to him? Can you touch him? If you've put yourself at a bit of a distance, maybe move towards him and get close. And now I just want to leave you there for a couple of minutes. I want you to see him smiling. I want to see him looking at you. It's safe. Notice how you feel. Do you want to say anything to him? I'm sure he has things he wants to say to you. And again, you may not hear the words, but you might know exactly what he's saying. That's hearing God. So don't get tripped up. Just let him speak. You know what he's saying. And just have some time.
I sense that something God is doing, uh, that I have a picture of blowing on coals and that bit where the fire suddenly comes back. There's a flame again as it glows. And I feel like that's something that God wanted me to describe to give us some bearings for what, what the Holy Spirit is doing. So, Lord, release that into our imagination and through our imagination into our hearts as a reality. Set your fire in us. Yeah. (laughs) He wants you. Let it grow, Lord. Let it increase. A sense of safety, a sense of, of, of being loved, a freedom to love you back, the fire of your love. Let it grow right now. I'm hoping that some of you just don't want to leave that um, room in your imagination, but maybe you just need to fix a time to go back so Jesus knows you're coming back. And um, let's just gather again all together. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you forgive us and that you free us that you welcome us into the wonderful freedom and security of your love, your unfailing love for us. Thank you for loving us fiercely and jealously and loving us with kindness and with delight. giving everything. Grow our love. Receive it, grow it, receive it, and grow it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.